Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 472. Welcome in. Today, uh, we are still waiting on a Baker Mayfield trade. I think it's going to happen soon. I don't really know. I, I would imagine this week it will happen, and he'll either go to, gosh, I don't know, Atlanta or New Orleans would be interesting, or the, the Colts are the team I'm really hoping make a move for him, but we'll see. Uh, that That's kind of hanging out there, waiting to be, uh, I'm waiting for movement there, and it just hasn't happened yet. Uh, it's going to be kind of a short episode today. I uh, My mom's in town. And I've been spending a lot of time with her, and I'm, I'm excited about that. I mean, it's something that um, her and I have never been the closest, I think, in the world, and we're working on a relationship, and that's pretty cool. And um, it, it's really, really fun to spend time with her. And I, you know, I know that, man, when I look back on my life and I'm old and she's dead and I'm dying, I'll be like, man, I'm really glad I spent a couple of days with her in Hawaii rather than really diving heavily into strong opinion sports. I, just, I have no regrets. I'm really enjoying my time with her. Um, predictions versus reality will continue next episode. It's been a really, it got derailed a little bit by the sheer volume of NFL news. It's been unbelievable this off season. I can't even, um, you know, I thought we were going to have kind of a, a little down period between the Super Bowl and the draft and it did not happen at all. I just, I feel like the NFL off season isn't really a thing anymore. The season just continues and it doesn't really I don't know. It's been the most crazy, insane NFL offseason of my lifetime. And I i mean, it's great for content. I, I'm certainly very glad that um, it, it just hasn't stopped. I, I thought I was going to cover baseball maybe a little bit. I thought I was going to follow March Madness. And no, no, no. Trade after trade after trade and big move and big signing. It's just been insanity. So um, we will continue predictions versus reality Next episode. Today is going to be pretty short. Uh, we're going to do some news. We'll do some Ask Zach questions. We will end with Formula One. I am burying Formula One at the end so that if you are not a Formula One person, you can skip it. But you know where it is if you're one of those people. I love Formula One. I would put it at the beginning of the show, but I just know that um, the majority of my audience is here for football or sports and are not necessarily Formula One people. Uh, so I put it at the end for you people that are, are also like me. And into this European sport that I think is becoming more, uh, it, it's emerging in American markets maybe a little bit. And I think more people in the U.S. are starting to follow Formula One, which, hey, I love it. We got two F1 races in America this year. We got Texas and Miami. It's going to be fun. Uh, let's jump in and talk about some NFL news. A couple of moves happened recently this week. There are three things I want to focus on. Other stuff happened. Obviously, these are the three that really matter to me. First of all, I want to give a really big shout-out to the Cincinnati Bengals. They made three big moves to help out their offensive line. Uh, they added offensive tackle, Lyle Collins. It was a move that we were waiting on, and he visited. And was he going to sign? Was he not going to sign? He ended up signing. He was with Dallas for the last seven years. He is 29 years old in July. He's a stud. He's the best tackle that has played in Cincinnati in quite a while. Uh, at least it, I, we don't know if he's going to be right tackle or left tackle. They do already have a tackle, Jonah Williams, uh, who was drafted in 2019. Uh, they also signed two stud guards, 
Uh, they gave former Patriot Ted Karras a three-year, $18 million deal. He's also 29 years old. Uh, you know, Lyle Collins will be 29 in July. Ted Karras is 29. And then earlier in free agency, they signed Alex Kappa to a four-year, $40 million deal. He was in Tampa with Tom Brady, and uh, he's 27 years old. So what I really, really, really love about this is that Cincinnati is spending money and kind of dealing with their biggest problem on their football team head-on, directly investing heavily in their young quarterback and the offensive line to support Joe Burrow, their young guy. And they're not screwing around. Joe Burrow was the most sacked quarterback in the NFL last year and still somehow found a way to lead his team to a Super Bowl. So I just, oh, man. Uh, You know that I was really critical of Cincinnati uh, when Joe Burrow went there, and I was very worried they were not going to support him. And it's been proven that it's totally wrong, and I I think that's been really doubled down on by Cincinnati, saying, like, not only are we going to draft good people around Joe Burrow, we're also going to develop – we're going to in, sorry, invest heavily and spend a lot of money on our offensive line to protect our young quarterback. And I just am, I'm so happy and grateful and thankful to see that because um, you guys know I love Joe Burrow. I, when Tom Brady retired, I was literally like, well, I guess Joe Burrow is my favorite quarterback in the NFL now. Uh, Tom Brady stayed in the NFL apparently, but um, I, I still, nonetheless, I it doesn't take away my love of Joe Burrow any uh, at all. So. Uh, I'm just really, really happy to see Cincinnati spending money on something that they very, very much needed to do this offseason. They could do literally nothing else the rest of the offseason, and I'll be like, well, it's been an amazing offseason for Cincinnati. They they signed a bunch of offensive linemen and are helping Joe Burrow, uh, let alone the draft and what they do there. So I'm just really, really thankful and happy to see uh, Cincinnati making moves that I, I approve of and I think are awesome. And I think the entire league looks at and goes, yep, they needed offensive linemen and they sure got them. Okay, we have two Rams-related stories. Number one, the Rams have given their quarterback, Matthew Stafford, a four-year, $160 million contract extension. Uh, that includes $135 million fully guaranteed. I got cat hair in my mouth. Not fun. I'll snuggle in my cat a minute ago and... uh Oh man, nothing like cat hair in your in your mouth. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, so by giving Matthew Stafford a big contract extension, uh, the Rams now have him through at least 2025. They have a potential out after the 2025 season when Stafford will be 37 years old. If they cut him after 2025, he will only be a 12 million dollar uh, dead cap hit. Uh, Now, his salary cap hit for 2024 is $49.5 million, and in 2025, it will be over $50 million, $50.5 million. Now, the salary cap across the league is expected to go up as TV revenue goes up, Uh, but regardless, that's a lot of money to pay Matthew Stafford. I I think he earned it with his—I mean, I think at this point, they'll pay him whatever he wants because he won a Super Bowl, and they're just going to—they don't even care anymore— uh, it'll be interesting to see how the rest of Matthew Stafford's career goes with the Rams. I I think they will be good. I worry about their defense. Um, I worry how he's going to age. He's never struck me as a guy who takes as good a care of his body as someone like Tom Brady does or Aaron Rodgers even does. Um, it, it's very likely that Matthew Stafford will end his career with the Rams. But really all he has to do from here on out, in my opinion, is put together a bunch of really good years throw for a bunch of yards, have good winning seasons. He never needs to win another Super Bowl. And he, he probably, if he just wins a lot of games 
has great numbers, probably becomes a Hall of Fame quarterback in like five years from now, if he can keep playing and put a big number. So uh, just keep your eye on that. I'm really curious to see how the rest of Matthew Stafford's career will play out, but it looks like he will end his career with the LA Rams. Uh, now, here is the second Rams-related news story. Let me drink some water first before we get into it. The Tennessee Titans have traded for Rams receiver Robert Woods. Uh, it's an interesting deal. The Titans gave up a 2023 sixth-round pick to get Robert Woods, which is honestly basically nothing. It's very low risk. It's a great trade for Tennessee. Robert Woods is going to be 30 years old in April. He's coming off of a torn ACL. Um, and, I, I mean, look, this is a when you compare this trade for Robert Woods to what they gave up to get an expensive receiver, Julio Jones, who gave them basically no production. I mean, I, I, it's a really great trade when you compare it to the Julio Jones trade. I think you can at least get the production Julio Jones gave Tennessee last year out of Robert Woods, if not better. And this is a guy who he had over 1,000 yards receiving in 2019. He had 900 and something in 2020. He only played in nine games last year. He got hurt. I, I think he could be very solid, and what Tennessee really needs is a number two receiver, and it feels like they got one for a very reasonable uh, trade. And uh, they're still going to pay the guys. I think he's like, I, b- I believe he's like around 13 to $15 million a year. We'll see how long his contract lasts. I'm sure they'll cut him at some point. But uh, for next year, he could be exactly what Tennessee needs, and they just really need someone to be their number two receiver. And I think Robert Woods could be a very solid answer. So uh, it's actually an impressive and and very shrewd move by Tennessee. Uh, Now let's talk about baseball. It's old news now, but I I feel weird just not acknowledging it at all. So let me be clear. Baseball's back. Uh, Yay! Round of applause for baseball. They figured it out. They got their act together. The owners and the players, they made a deal. They figured out a new CBA. So the season is on, and the Major League Baseball season will be including all 162 games. Rob Manfred came out and said, we're canceling regular season games. And that that turned out to be not true at all. It was just a negotiation tactic. Um, They made a lot of small, nerdy changes to the MLB uh, contract structure. One of them was like, you you can only move players between the majors and minor leagues five times now, which feels like a lot still, but I don't know. Another thing was somehow... There was some wording that I don't even understand that I, I researched it and I Googled it a bunch and I, I still couldn't figure it out. It was having to do with um, draft compensation, I believe. I, I don't really know. I don't really care. Here are the couple changes that I found noteworthy and interesting. Number one, there is now a universal designated hitter in Major League Baseball. What that means is now in the AL and the Nas- in the American League and the National League, we will have designated hitters. So for years, it was just the American League. Uh, that's the Yankees, the Mariners, the Texas Rangers, stuff like that, the Minnesota Twins. Now it's also in the National League. And my immediate thought is I am so excited to – I'm excited for whoever gets to be the Colorado Rockies designated hitter playing in Denver in that stadium that guy's going to have a field day. I'm happy for him, and I'm, I'm really excited for – I think it just makes baseball better to have – not have pitchers who suck at hitting hit all the time. Some of them are good uh, occasionally. I mean, I, etched in my memory forever is uh, a, a Mariners starting pitcher, Felix Hernandez, once hitting a grand slam against the New York Mets. It's not like pitchers are 
Uh, look, let's be real. They, they weren't good hitters. Uh, not like they never did anything, but I'm really excited to have guys who their whole job is hit, uh, be hitters in the National League as well. Just, I think it makes baseball better. Um, they're expanding the playoffs from 10 teams to 12. That's another big win, in my opinion. Uh, there will be a draft lottery in the lottery uh, in Major League Baseball now, similar to what the NBA does, meaning that the worst team with the worst record is not guaranteed the number one overall pick. Uh, the hope is that it will discourage teams from tanking in baseball. Ah, it didn't really work in the NBA. People say that you know it discourages tanking, and it certainly does discourage tanking, but we still see, see NBA teams tank all the time. So I, I don't imagine it's going to have the effect they hope it will, but we'll see if it works that way. And one other big change that you will find when you watch Major League Baseball in the future now is that um, they can put ads on jerseys. You might see when you watch, I, I believe that the Milwaukee Bucks and the NBA have a Motorola ad on their jersey. You're going to see a little bit of that now in Major League Baseball as well. It's a way to get even more revenue. I think it's actually a, a very needed change in baseball. I've talked before many times that they are... The league is built on, I think, really bad contracts with regional television networks that are going to, at some point, be uh, bad deals for the networks that they can't pay the money on anymore. So um, any way that baseball can find new revenue and creative ways to make more money is really great for them um, because they got to keep playing, you know, paying players at a really high level. And I, I don't know that when those contracts are up, they're going to get a same massive contract from these dying local broadcast network so uh i I look i baseball is back they made some changes i i don't know that this is going to get me to watch baseball more i i wish i could say it would but i'm going to be pretty busy this offseason i'm doing all kinds of stuff football is king in my world um but you you could bet i'll be at a couple baseball games this summer for sure i'm going to go to some mlb games i don't know that i will cover them very much but i'm gonna I, i like baseball a lot and i i'm excited to go to a uh, a Mariners game with my buddy Sean. One of my best friends, Sean, is a huge Mariners fan. You guys know me. I'm not a Mariners fan anymore. But I'll drink a beer, have a hot dog that's, you know, $50 overpriced, and I'll, I'll pay the money because I want to go to the, the stadium, sit with my friends, have a hot dog, have a beer, enjoy a baseball game. Like that, that's something I love. Even if I never cover baseball very closely, I will always um, really – I mean, look, I, I don't think I've, I've been to one – have I ever been to a major league baseball game? I don't know that I have, but I, I've been to lots of minor league games, and I really love that experience of going to the park, having the food, hanging with my friends, and um, I, I see myself as I, I travel across the country and as I uh, even staying in the Northwest for a little while, going with my friends to baseball games sounds really fun, and you, you can bet your bippy. <laughs> I say that to avoid cussing. Bet your sweet blank. I'm not going to say that one. Um, I'm going to Major League Baseball games this this summer, and I'm, I'm very excited for it. So I uh, baseball's back, and congratulations to them. Okay, uh, now let's go to some questions from the audience. It is time for Ask Zach, my favorite part of the show. In case you do not know how it works, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. You give a dollar a month. You can give more if you want to. Please do. It literally helps pay my rent. Uh, but a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. Now, if you submit a question on Patreon, I do not guarantee to read your question on the show. My only guarantee is I pick the top couple of questions and uh, – well, let me be clear. I, I pick the top couple of questions to read them on the show. But my only guarantee here with the questions when you write in 
My only guarantee is I look at every single question with my eyeballs. I may not reply, but I look at them and I pick the top couple to read on the show. I try to reply. I've got a pretty cool community there. A lot of people who have got their numbers and I follow them personally and I'm excited to meet them. So I love Patreon. It's a great way to engage with you guys personally. Um, But I don't want anyone to have false expectations. If you pay the dollar a month, you write into the show. I'm not going to guarantee to read your question because if it's a bad one, I would hate to be forced to read it on the show. Uh, Let's jump into question number one. It is from the Hamman. Let me let me open my Google Doc. The Hamman says repost because I think I accidentally posted this on the Zach Chandler talking thread. Yeah, you probably did. I don't know. Uh, this is the time you become a Mariners fan again. The Seattle Mariners, the baseball team. Last year we had an electric September. We went ninety and seventy-two, but narrowly missed the playoffs. During the offseason, we signed the AL Cy Young winner Robbie Ray. And traded for Jesse Winker, a outfielder who will provide some much-needed pop to the lineup. We have a prospect, Julio Rodriguez, who will probably probably be an MVP candidate once he is in the MLB. I know you have trust issues from the Mariners, but it's worth jumping on the bandwagon. No, thank you. I'm never coming back. I'm very proud of that. I will never be a Mariners fan ever again. In fact, I will never have a favorite team ever again. Uh, the closest I will ever become is just rooting for the Bengals because I like Cincinnati as a city. Um, look, going back to the Mariners is kind of like getting back together with next. You just don't do it. You broke up with her for a reason. Don't go back. Look, I left Seattle uh, as a fan for a reason. I don't trust them. That guy, he said Julio Rodriguez is a future MVP candidate. It means they're probably going to trade him to the Orioles for Eric Bedard, right? They, they're going to get rid of if they have a good player. Oh, like, I know they got rid of that guy who was – telling all these horrible stories at the Rotary Club and talking and bragging about how he doesn't want to pay people. But uh, I will never trust the Mariners. I will never give my heart to that organization ever again. I will go to Mariners games. I will, the, the, the most I will do, I will get an overpriced hot dog and a beer and go sit in their stadium and root very loudly and very hard for the opposing team because I absolutely effing hate the Mariners. They ruined my childhood. That's a little bit extreme. Uh, But no, I will never be a Mariners fan ever again, even if they win. I want you to know this. If they win, I will actually feel sadness because I hate them that much. And I root against them, and I hate them. They were a team that brutalized me as a child. I'm scarred for life, and uh, I will never root for the Mariners ever again. Look, I don't know. I'm being a little bit harsh. Um, Kind of silly. Kind of joking. Probably doesn't sound like a joke. Uh, But no, I I will never, ever, ever, ever again. Uh, Again, I broke up with the Mariners for a reason. I'm never coming back. And I'm very glad to say I'm never coming back. And when they win, it does nothing in my heart, which is the most freeing feeling in the world. I know I have no emotional connection other than hate and anger towards the Seattle Mariners. Um, Okay, Garrett writes in. Garrett says, I'm a Broncos fan, and I'm very excited about Russ being here. However, that's Russell Wilson, their new starting quarterback, who's amazing. However... I was more lenient on Locke than other fans. He does struggle, but physically, he has it all. I was thinking about him going to Seattle and remembered your draft analysis of him. You started that you wished Drew Locke and DK Metcalf had played together in college because of their tape, it w- because their tape would have been better. Now that they're in Seattle together, do you think that Metcalf can elevate Drew Locke? A longtime fan of the show, and thank you for looking at this with your eyeballs. So more than likely, Drew Locke is going to drag down DK Metcalf, whenever you go from having Russell Wilson throw you the football to a guy who has had, uh, you can argue, never really had a shot in Denver, but a guy who's been in the league for a while and done very little, 
I can't imagine that somehow DK Metcalf's numbers are going to get better. Um, I, I don't know. Again, you can argue that Drew Locke never had a real shot in Denver, although you could also argue that he had opportunities and blew them and showed a lack of maturity. So when it comes to Drew Locke in Seattle, I have no expectation. Not only do I not really believe he's going to be the franchise quarterback, I don't know that they're not going to trade for someone like Baker Mayfield or bring in Marcus Mariota. So uh, we'll see. But I, I got to say, I am rooting for Drew Locke to do well in Seattle. I'd like to see him do well. I don't know that he will. Um, but if it's look, he was not going to work in Denver. And if he's going to find a place to revitalize his career, Seattle is probably... Uh, a, a better spot than most for Drew Locke to find a way to win and show that he can be a successful NFL quarterback. And there, there is potential there. So I'm not going to hate on the guy, but I don't have a lot of expectations from him nonetheless. Okay, Nathan writes in. It's a long one, but an interesting one. Nathan says, Hey, Zach, there has been so much movement in the free agency market with quarterbacks. A lot of good ones still remain. But a lot of the more important teams who needed a quarterback have gotten one, except for Indy and Seattle. Being so, though, there are still decent quarterbacks in the draft, which could start now or later on. I have two questions about both of these topics. The Falcons, the Panthers, the Lions, the Titans, and Giants still have questions at quarterback. Some are higher in the draft, like the Lions, Panthers, Falcons, and Giants, uh, and are at good positions to get Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett. Which of these teams do you think might be necessary to draft a quarterback for the future or for right now? Matty Ice is getting old, and Jared Goff isn't the answer forever. Let's start with – he's got a second question. I'll read it in a moment. Um, look, the Falcons need a new quarterback. Matt Ryan is old, and they're rebuilding, and it makes no sense for them to keep going with Matt Ryan. I think they're the team that should draft Malik Willis if anyone uh, should. I think Malik Willis is the – Best quarterback in the draft? Kenny Pickett's fine. Uh, like, I, I keep hearing Kenny Pickett to the Lions conversations, and I'm like, well, Kenny Pickett, in my opinion, isn't really an upgrade over Jared Goff. I think, I think Jared Goff's better than people realize, and you're paying him a lot of money, and he's fine. And if I'm the Lions, I just keep drafting good players and keep building around Jared Goff and hope that the better your team gets, the better Jared Goff will do. Uh, in fact, I actually think that will happen. I, I, I actually I am shocked at how much I think Jared Goff can do well in, in Detroit. Because I was not excited about Jared Goff. I was very out on Jared Goff. And I thought he did some good stuff last year. And I think if the Lions keep building... Like, I just don't know that it's smart to waste first-round picks on a player that may or may not be your franchise quarterback when you can just draft someone who can be an impact player, like a top-five player in the entire draft. I think the Lions got to pick a player who can make their roster better tomorrow uh, I, if the Lions want to draft a quarterback, draft someone in the second round who's got some potential. I think that's an idea, but um, the Lions have the number two overall pick. I think they should draft like a defensive end or someone who can really help their football team, uh, not a quarterback who may or may not play down the road. Carolina, I have no faith that they can develop a quarterback. I mean, if they couldn't develop Sam Darnold, why am I supposed to believe that they're going to get a guy who is probably less talented and turn him into a franchise quarterback? If Carolina can get Malik Willis, I support that. Otherwise, I'm like, oh, what are you doing? I'm very interested to see where Kenny Pickett will go because I think he's got potential but a limited ceiling. He kind of reminds me of um, Case Keenum or like he's a he's solid but not amazing. And maybe Kirk Cousins is a great example. Like he's he's fine. Um, I think with a good system and a good team around him, 
and patience, he could become a really good quarterback. He's got good habits. Like he's not an idiot. He, he makes good decisions. But physically, he's not very impressive. So I just I hope he goes to a good football team, and we'll see. I think, man, New Orleans would be really interesting if they drafted uh, Kenny Pickett. Him playing indoors uh, in the south, warmer weather. Uh, Kenny Pickett to New Orleans sounds exciting to me. The Giants should not get a quarterback. Um, I, I think that Tyrod Taylor's better than anyone in the draft they can get immediately. Um, and I, I just think if you're the Giants, you have so many problems on your football team that you need to solve way before you get to... You, you got a quarterback situation with Daniel Jones and Tyrod Taylor, who are both fine. I, I think I think Tyrod Taylor is going to be your franchise quarterback long-term for a while. Use your draft picks to keep building your roster. So uh, that's how I feel. The Falcons need a quarterback. Carolina, uh, and I, I think most of the, the value with quarterbacks in this draft is going to be later in the second round. I don't, I'm very excited to see. Like, I think Tennessee could draft a quarterback in the second round. Uh, I, I think Washington could. I think there's a couple teams out there that already have quarterbacks that they're, are solid but not amazing that could make a move in the second round. But most of these guys are going to get drafted not in the first round. So I'm just, it's going to be a weird, interesting draft. And I, I still have to do film analysis and break all them down. But that's my thoughts so far. Let me read the second part of your question. It's really interesting. He says, so many quarterbacks are gone off free agency, but one of them still remains that actually saddens me. Gardner Minshew has shown so much potential, but the idea of him is still that he is a good backup. Why won't teams give him a shot? Zach, you were awesome and keep up the good work. So Gardner Minshew is not a free agent. He's actually the backup under contract in Philadelphia. Uh, someone who would have to trade for him to get him. And I, I think Philly's happy. He's a great backup. They're like, we're not going to get rid of this guy. He's awesome. Now, the reason why Gardner Minshew from what I understand, isn't viewed as a franchise quarterback is because he's not physically impressive. Teams are looking for the next Josh Allen or Justin Herbert level quarterback. And if you're not physically a monster, people aren't excited about you and don't want to build around you. Uh, The reality is I think that Gardner Minshew is somewhere along the lines of a little better than Case Keenum. And I think that... um, uh, he's a great leader. He's a galvanizing personality. He's a, a guy who I think is great for your locker room, who um, is being wasted on the bench in Philadelphia. But because he doesn't have the potential of a Josh Allen or Justin Herbert, no one's going to make a move to go get him. No one wants to build around him. I think it's very possible that as teams get more desperate as time goes on, you can see a move to, for him. Like if the Saints can't find a quarterback, if the Colts can't find an answer. If But there's a lot of guys out there. Marcus Mariota. Um, Baker Mayfield. So I, I just don't know that teams are excited about Gardner because they don't see him becoming a Josh Allen type. And I, I understand that, but it's sad because I think he has potential, but no one wants to do the work of getting the most out of him and they'd rather just invest in someone who's physically amazing and try to get the most out of that guy. Um, Davis writes in and says, if the Colts biff this offseason and not get Baker or Matt Ryan, really, or any good quarterback, this will be the end of Frank Reich and Chris Ballard in Indy. There seems to be a tense pressure. I think he means intense pressure on them to win right now. By the way, this guy Davis sent me the headphones I'm wearing right now on the show. The headphones I'm using to hear myself and record the podcast that are like amazing. They're really, I love these things. They're amazing. Davis sent them in. So Davis, I will always be grateful for you. Anytime you write into the show, I'm going to try to mention that because that's crazy that this guy in Indiana sent me headphones for free. That is, I'm so happy. Um, now, 
The Colts have a number of issues. Um, I, I, they need a lot. I'll read you a tweet, actually. I saw it this morning. I retweeted it. I don't tweet very often. When I do, I try to say something interesting or meaningful. <laughs> uh, Colts Militia tweeted this. The Colts have no quarterback, no left tackle, no wide receiver number two or three, no first-round picks in 2022, and many more holes, but they have the most cap space in the NFL, which has resulted in one free agent acquisition and then a face that's like really it's very it's like a it's a frowny face uh, a, a kind of a bored uh flat like expression just like really um so what do the colts do at quarterback baker's an option i think their best option uh i think marcus mariota is an underrated option it would be very interesting plus marcus mariota could play his former team the tennessee titans twice a year i don't like the idea of jimmy garoppolo going there i think gardner Minshew has a lot of potential there uh, Nick Foles is an idea. He played for Frank Reich and won a Super Bowl with him in Philly. Um, I don't know. It's crazy how important the quarterback position is, though, because I think for the most part, Chris Ballard and Frank Reich have done some pretty good stuff there. Uh, not amazing. Again, I go back to it. No left tackle, no wide receiver number two or three, no first round picks, no quarterback. Like, not amazing, but certainly um, if the Colts had the right quarterback, I, I, and and if they'd had the right quarterback all along, people would feel way better about Frank Reich and Chris Ballard than they do currently. And that's sad because I think these are people who are good at their job who have had some circumstances that are out of their control, and it's really hurt their ability to do their job at a high level. My nose is itching so bad. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Mitchell writes in. Let me drink some water. I think that might. Is that related? I don't think so. I don't know. It's It's 4.55 in the morning. I'm doing the best I can. Mitchell writes in and says, hey, Zach, the Saints have freed up a ton of cap space recently. Do you think they make a move for a quarterback and free agency or stick with Taysom Hill and draft someone? Oh, my gosh. I, I was talking about the Colts. Jameis Winston is out there. I think that's who they're going to get a move, uh, make a move on. Though. I think Jameis Winston is going to stay in New Orleans with the Saints. Um, he tore his ACL last year. He's going to make a comeback. He's expected to be fine. Um I think the, part of why the Saints were clearing cap space is because they were all in on trading for Deshaun Watson. And when that didn't work out, they're like, oh, my gosh, well, we are screwed. We better find something and figure out what to do. Jameis appears to be the guy. Taysom Hill is not the answer, in my opinion. I think a dark horse that would be interesting is uh, the Saints trading for Baker Mayfield. Um, another option, I think Kenny Pickett in New Orleans would be actually pretty – Intriguing because Kenny Pickett is a guy who makes good decisions, takes care of the football. Um, I would rather him play in a dome than in cold weather. This is so cliche, but he's got smaller hands, meaning that like a wet, slippery football is going to be harder for him to hold on to. I, I know people – I play quarterback. It's just true. I have small hands myself, um, and I, I didn't love throwing a snowy, wet football, right? Uh, I would have rather – I'm the kind of guy – like I'm smaller. I have a smaller hand size. I have another play in a dome. I think the true is same about Kenny Pickett, and um, he doesn't have a massive cannon for an arm. I think Kenny Pickett is very well suited to play in New Orleans. Um, they don't have a receiving core, like, at all, but uh, we'll see what happens there. I'm also really interested to see what happens with Mike, uh, Michael Thomas uh, in New Orleans. Taysom Hill isn't the guy. It's probably Jameis Winston. Keep your eye on them drafting Kenny Pickett. Uh, but uh, Baker's a wild card. I really want to see where Baker Mayfield will go and – are teams willing to give up very much for him? I don't think so. I think it's kind of a race to the bottom there. And teams are like, 
I bet Seattle offered like a sixth round pick and, you know, the Saints are like, what did Seattle offer, right? And, uh, and then probably the Browns lie. And they're like, a third round pick. And we want a second for him. And, you know, New Orleans is like, ha, in your dreams. So I, I bet that's kind of what's going on right now with the Baker Mayfield trade situation. The reason why he hasn't been moved yet is because the Browns aren't getting what they want uh, in return for him yet in an offer. So, and I don't know that, I don't know that. It all depends. If he works out, a second-round pick is a steal for Baker Mayfield. If he fails, then it's a terrible trade. So, um, <laughs> I don't know. I think people aren't really—they're they're nervous and hesitant about him, but also can recognize the uh, potential of Baker Mayfield. I want to read a, a Browns fan's perspective on the Deshaun Watson trade. So, uh, remember, Deshaun Watson has had 22 women accuse him of— to put it lightly, sexual misconduct. I did a whole topic about it. Uh, I, I did an episode. Uh, I titled it, I believe, The Deshaun Watson Conversation, Part 1 and 2. At the beginning of the show, I talk about it. At the end of the show, I talk about it. Go listen to that for like my real thoughts on that situation. But from here on out, I, I've decided to focus on the football side of the story because it's now a football story. He's playing in the NFL again and not very much of a non-football story anymore. So um, Zachariah wrote in, though, he said this. Hey, Zach. I'm a Browns fan. Been one since I was born about 24 years ago. I do not feel comfortable with the trade that happened for Deshaun Watson. I cannot look at this team right now and feel comfortable with the allegations facing the person that is supposed to be the face of this organization. I also cannot feel comfortable knowing that any attention and money that I give to this team goes into lining the pockets of an owner who's willing to set aside a quarter of a million, I think he means billion, a quarter of a billion dollars today for this man. He means Deshaun Watson. I feel such a strong connection to the history of the team and the players I've rooted for since we have hired them. I also don't know the true feelings of the front office and the coaching staff as... I gotta sneeze. (laughs) Whoa. I also don't know the true feelings of the front office and the coaching staff as the leaks have had Jimmy Haslam's fingerprints all over them. How do I support the players and the team while not supporting the two parties that I can't morally align with? Okay, uh, Zachary, I got two very honest, earnest questions. Number one, are you still not going to support if the Browns start winning? I would imagine that if Deshaun Watson goes to Cleveland— and they win a ton and dominate that uh, people are going to have a short memory and just kind of move on and go, oh, well, he's winning games and just be happy their team is winning and and kind of ignore the past. Um, Also, I ask you, Zachariah, how can you possibly support a team without supporting their quarterback? Because their quarterback is the team. I mean, that it just is true in the NFL that your quarterback is not only face your franchise, he's like the most key important ingredient of your team. I don't think you can support your team without supporting your quarterback. Um, if they win, it will be because of him. He he is like the most important factor of their winning formula. So uh, I, I I feel for you, Zachariah. It's a, uh, look, I, I think honestly, maybe this is, I don't know if I say this or not. You can only can, con- you, you can only control as much as you can control. And, and frankly, like, Unless you get the entire Browns organization to boycott the Browns, you're not going to have an impact. And I hope you just 
Life is short. The world is awful. There's all kinds of horrible stuff happening everywhere every day. Uh, if the Browns bring you joy, let them bring you joy. I, I don't know. I Is that the most, like, is that the best answer that I feel great about? No. I, I wish there's like, some kind of change you could affect in the world. But I, I'll tell you what. I was an environmental science major once upon a time in college. I had this great gung-ho idea. I'm going to change the world. And I realized that the only way to make an impact on the environment was to become a politician. And I didn't want to do that. And I'm like, well, I, I just feel hopeless and, and I can't do much. So are you, how much can you impact and change the Cleveland Browns? Not very much. So if they win and your heart is happy, just let your heart feel happy. Don't feel guilty about it. I don't, what do you gain from that? I, I don't know. That's just what I would tell you as a friend on a person-to-person level. Like just control everything you can control and the stuff that you have no control over, you, you just got to let it go because we're like little tiny cogs in this massive machine that is the planet of Earth. And uh, we do the best we can, but when there's stuff that we have, we have no real control over, we just got to move on and kind of let it go. Uh, ENK writes in and says, Hey, Zach, I'm a frustrated Packers fan. I'm sick of Aaron Rodgers and his constant drama, along with his massive contract, so we can't pay anyone. I'm frustrated with not having any wide receivers. It's not just that we let Devonta Adams go for essentially nothing. Well, you got a first and second round pick. That's not terrible. Um, and you don't have to pay him. Um <laughs> but we didn't replace him with anyone. We didn't replace Devontae Adams with Allen Robinson, Odo Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, or Amari Cooper. They were all available, and another free agent passed without us doing anything. I'm also so glad we paid Aaron Jones instead of using that money for a valuable position. <laughs> yeah. I guess my question is, what would you do if you're Green Bay? Would you move up in the draft uh, to get a receiver, or would you try to make it work with someone like Julio Jones? Probably both. You probably should get Julio Jones. You probably should try to... Has Jarvis Landry gone anywhere yet? Let me look that up. I don't think so. I think Jarvis Landry is still available. Uh, Jarvis Landry news? Um, No, Jarvis Landry isn't anywhere yet. So you still could sign Jarvis Landry. I would make an aggressive move for them. Here's the thing. Because you have salary cap problems in Green Bay you're not going to bring in big free agents. It's just not going to happen. The only way to get new talent in Green Bay is to draft people. And if I am Green Bay, I'm drafting like three receivers in the first two rounds. You have two first-round picks, the uh, sorry, the, the 22nd pick and the 28th pick. You also have two second-round picks, the 53rd pick and the 59th pick. You have the 22nd overall pick in the draft, the 28th overall pick in the draft, the 53rd overall pick in the draft, and the 59th overall pick in the draft. Four picks in the first two rounds. If I'm Green Bay, I am spending three of those four draft picks on a receiver. I'm going for sheer volume. Here's the thing. You can trade up in the draft. You trade your first, your two first round picks, or maybe you trade the 59th and the 28th pick to move up in the draft. Um, that's great, and, and that's actually not a bad idea. If you can get trade a second and a first for Chris Olave or some big receiver earlier in the draft, you should do that. Um, but if you have to give up potentially two receivers and only get one. I don't think it helps you very much. I think the Packers need more than just one receiver. They need multiple. So uh, I I just can't stress enough. I think the Packers have to go all in and draft multiple receivers in this draft. That's what I hope they do. And um, do that at Julio Jones, like volume, throw volume at this problem. And I think it'll help you. 
Uh, is it crazy to draft three receivers in the first two rounds? Yes. Does it sound like a Madden move? Yes, it does. But if you're the Browns, if you're the Packers, excuse me, you're desperate, and I think it's what you got to do. Okay, Connor writes in. Connor says, I've been watching a ton of the Patriots' defense lately, breaking down their coverages and seeing how players like Kyle Van Noy find success in this defense. Anyway, in doing this, I have found a new favorite player, Kyle Duggar. I don't know why I said it that way. Kyle Duggar. Uh, This kid is amazing. I never hear anyone talking about him, but on the low key, he may be one of the best New England players. He may be one of New England's best players, he says. I would really recommend giving him a watch sometime. I think you'd really enjoy... Gosh, I'm reading this terribly. I think he says... I think you'll really appreciate him. I don't know why I said enjoy. He says appreciate. I did the best I could to read that. Um, I'll check him out. Uh, Kyle Duggar is the Patriots' safety. He was a second-round pick in 2020. Here's why he's noteworthy. It's pretty crazy. He was a second-round pick out of a D2 college, Lenore Ryan, who I'd literally never heard of until that day when he was drafted. And uh, to be a second-round pick out of a Division II college is insanity, and he's become a starter and a really good player. So it was actually a great, very, very shrewd move by Bill Belichick. So wild, weird, interesting, exciting, and very good. I will check out Kyle Duggar in the future. I don't know if I'll make content about him, but... Uh, I will look at him. I'm sure he's fun to watch, and I'll, I'll check it out. Aiden writes in and says, Hi, Zach. If you're building a defense, would you focus on assembling a great pass rush slash defensive line or a lockdown secondary? I see the 49ers as the current example for the pass rush method first, and the Patriots system as a historic secondary-focused defense. Love the content and definitely looking forward to more content with you and that franchise guy. Yeah, me and Marcus, I love that guy so much. He's one of my favorite people in the space. I'm actually going on his show, his video game show soon, to talk about video games and share like my top three video games of all time, which is a fun thing we got coming soon. Um, Aiden, I think it's just easier to find defensive linemen who are ridiculously good studs uh, than it is to find a lockdown corner. Like a lockdown corner, like Darrell Revis, is way more rare. And also, in my opinion, less effective. The The rules heavily favor a receiver. It's easier to beat an offensive lineman uh, on the line, like beating your guy off the snap or something, than it is to beat a receiver in coverage, frankly. I just think it's easier. And, and plus, your defensive line makes quarterbacks uncomfortable. And... um the better defensive line you have that gets after the quarterback quickly and puts pressure on him, makes him get rid of the ball faster, it actually can elevate. Your, your bad secondary or your weaker corner and safety players will look better when a defensive end has got your quarterback on his back or getting rid of the ball before he's ready. So I will always follow the philosophy. You build your defensive line. Um, and I, I just will – like if I was a coach or a general manager, excuse me, uh, I'd be drafting offensive and defensive linemen constantly. That is how you win games. You get your quarterback, and then you just draft the piss out of the offensive and defensive linemen positions. And uh, I, I can figure it out with the rest. But if I if I have a good offensive and defensive line and a good quarterback, I think I could win a lot of games in the football world. Okay, uh, Juwan writes in, final question of the day. Juwan says, hey, Zach. I've been a longtime viewer of Strong Opinion Sports, and now I'm finally a Patreon supporter. Dude, welcome! Oh my gosh! He said, I'm here to ask my first question. 
when talking about Baker Mayfield, you often bring up that he had been an underdog for most of his career. But that idea changed when he was the number one overall pick. Now that the Browns have moved on from him, could he be the underdog again with a chip on his shoulder ready to succeed? Yeah, so I've talked about this before. He had to transfer and walk on multiple times in college. He went from a nobody to a Heisman Trophy winner, which and then and then a first round pick. So his entire journey in college was I'm going to prove everybody wrong, and then he did that. He won the Heisman, became the number one overall pick. Suddenly, the world was validating Baker Mayfield as the best at whatever he does at that time. You win the Heisman, you become a number one overall pick. You're no longer an underdog. Um, and so I've talked about before how when I went to college, I, I had a coach who in high school said I'd never play college football. And so my, my motivation for two years was prove that effing guy wrong. So when I got to college, I had proven that guy wrong, and I ran out of motivation. I was like, well, i got to find a new source of my motivation because my hatred for this coach doesn't work anymore. I, I already proved him wrong. And I wasn't very good as a freshman at 18 years old in college at pivoting my motivation style to find something else. And I kind of I burned out. So Baker's got to find something that, different that drives him. At least that's, how, that's what I always said in Cleveland. Well, maybe not because now his team doesn't want him. He's been kind of shamed by the football world. He is an underdog again, and that could really benefit him as a quarterback with just the sheer psychological side of how you view yourself and the story you tell yourself about who you are and how you fit into the world. So um, I just am really rooting for Baker. I want to see Baker go to another team and do very, very well. That would be awesome. I'm rooting for him. I think that would be really cool. And uh, I don't know. I think that would just be really interesting to see Baker Mayfield do really well on his new team. Guys, uh, wow. So I got to tell you something. I recorded the first the, sorry, I recorded the end of this show about Formula One before I recorded the rest of the show. So I've been recording for a little over 45 minutes now, and I'm going to add another 10 minutes on the end of that with a Formula One conversation. I'm shocked. I, I did not believe that this episode is going to be very long, and we've, we're going to reach almost an hour, which blows my mind. Very happy to say that. I love you. I appreciate you. It's kind of weird because I'm going to end the show, but you're also going to hear 10 more minutes. So I'm just going to let you know now. Let's shift gears to Formula the one. I love you, though. I appreciate you. Hope you have a great day. And I will, uh, I guess I'll see you in like five seconds when I cut and you go to Formula one. Bye, all Okay, there's a cut there. Uh, hopefully you cannot tell. I'm recording this much earlier than the rest of the show. Let's end the show with this. On Sunday, we had the Bahrain Grand Prix. We learned a lot. There's a lot to break down. It was fun. It was exciting. There were twists and turns, both figuratively and literally. Uh, here are the top 10 points finishers from Sunday. First, you had Charles Leclerc uh, for Ferrari. He also got another extra point for fastest lap. Second, you had the other Ferrari driver, Carlos Sainz. In third and fourth, you had third, Lewis Hamilton, and fourth, George Russell, both driving for Mercedes. In fifth place, you had Kevin Magnussen for Haas. That's a great story. We'll talk about that in a moment. In sixth place, you had Valtteri Bottas driving for Alfa Romeo. Seventh was Esteban Ocon for Ocon, Ocon for Alpine. Uh, eighth, Yuki Sonoda for Alfa Tauri. Ninth, Fernando Alonso for Alpine. And in tenth place, the other Alfa Romeo driver, a rookie in his first ever Formula One race, Zhou Guan Yu. 
Uh, I hope I pronounce it right. I'm doing the very best I can. Uh, let's start off by talking about Ferrari. It's a one-two for them. It's incredible. It's a new top dog in Formula One. Ferrari is awesome. We're only one race in, but they are the team to beat so far during the 2022 Formula One season. And I got to say, it is so great to see Ferrari back on top in Formula One. A good Ferrari team is great for the sport and great for Formula One. It's similar to the Dallas Cowboys in the NFL or the Lakers in the NBA. The sport is better when they're a good team. So I was very excited and happy to see Ferrari win. Great for Charles Leclerc. Happy for Carlos Sainz. They got a really great team and a really great driver lineup. Now, Red Bull... Oh, boy. Uh, huge loss for them. Engine failure Engine failure in the final couple laps. Um, they missed out on a podium finish, whether it was Max Verstappen or and then Sergio Perez. Uh, Pierre Gassi, by the way. So three out of the four Red Bull cars had engine failure, uh, both with the Red Bull main team and then Alpha Tauri, their sister team. Pierre Gasly in lap 46, his engine caught on fire. Lap 55, Max Verstappen retired after slowing down during lap 54 and getting passed by pretty much everybody. Uh, Sergio Perez retired on the very final lap, lap 57. It was awful and not a good day for Red Bull. I mean, that's not entirely true. They showed they had pace to keep up with Ferrari. They were very competitive. It was fun back and forth, all race between Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen, even if Charles Leclerc clearly pulled away towards the end. Uh, but to not even be able to finish the race, falling apart the way they did at the end of the race was horrible. And uh, you got to walk away feeling not great for Red Bull, although, again, they're clearly faster than Mercedes. Now, for Mercedes, it's a massive day. They got gifted a podium by Red Bull's failure. And finishing third and fourth is a, man, it's a gift that they did not expect with like five laps to go during the race. It's clear, though, that they are the third fastest team right now. In Formula One. Now, it's only one race. There's a lot of time between now and the end of the year for them to make changes and tweak their car and improve. Um, But they do need to make changes if they're going to get faster and uh, have a real competitive shot at competing for a world championship. Now, a lot is going to change throughout the year as team make little subtle tweaks to their aerodynamic setup and engine tweaks. Um, But the question is, can Mercedes elevate themselves enough to go from third place right now. I mean, they're second technically in the standings, but it's clear they're the third fastest car. Can Mercedes do enough work throughout the year to go from the third fastest car to potentially winning in F1? They're second right now in the constructor standings. We're only one race in, but I am very interested to see how the year will go for them. Now, Haas! Oh my goodness. It's amazing. Uh, Kevin Magnussen got fifth place. Uh, He was... P7 most of the race. Uh, He had the fastest car other than the big three in F1, Red Bull, Ferrari, and Mercedes. Look, Haas sacrificed a lot last year and kind of said, we're going to take an L entirely last year during 2021 to develop their car for this year. And I didn't expect it to work. I'm not going to lie. I thought Haas was going to be terrible. I know they were doing great during preseason testing and free practice, but I was very skeptical. I'm like, huh, we'll see if this actually plays out on the track. And uh, clearly they are, other than the top three, the fastest car as of the first race. Uh, What's even crazier, though, is that two weeks ago, Kevin Magnuson didn't even know he would be driving in Formula One, not only this year, but literally ever again. And then Earl Cowley and Mazepin got dropped by Haas, and uh, 
I don't know. I mean, I don't know that this car would have gotten P5. In fact, I'm, I'm not only not sure, I'm, I'm, I can declare confidently without Kevin Magnuson, this car would not got a, gotten a fifth place or even seventh place finish in Formula One. Like Nikita Mazepin was not going to drive this car quick enough to get here. And uh, it's very cool to see Kevin Magnuson in a genuinely quick car in Formula One, something that we never really ever got to see until now. Uh, Mick Schumacher, their other driver, uh, their young stud who's developing and growing, I feel like with every race, he finished P11, one shy of a points finish. And it's just really exciting because Haas showed a lot of great pace. It's much needed for them. And I mean, I, I compared this on Twitter or Instagram to... Um, like the Cleveland Browns in the NFL going from a just horrible football team to making the playoffs and returning to prominence. I don't know that that's a bit dramatic. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But certainly Haas has been down for quite a while. And is it going to last? I don't know. But to see them in race number one, not only competitive, but maybe the best team in the midfield is you know really, really cool to see. Now, it was a big day for Alfa Romeo. Valtteri Botas got sixth place for them. Uh, Joe Guan Yu got P10. The Ferrari engine clearly is really helping their team. It's cool to see Alfa Romeo doing very well. And again, Guan Yu, I, I, I hope I'm saying his name right, but it's really incredible to see him in his first ever F1 race get a points finish. That's just impressive and exciting, and I'm very, very happy for the guy. And uh, big losses today. Today, Sunday, whatever you want it to be. I'm recording this Sunday night for me. It's I'm the last at the very end of the time zone across the planet. Um, McLaren got 14th and 15th. Daniel Ricciardo got 14th. Lando Norris got 15th. They were not competitive. And really, they should have been P16 and 17 had Red Bull not completely fallen apart at the end of the race. It's a really concerning and disappointing day if you're a McLaren fan. It's the same story with Aston Martin. Aston Martin got P12 with Lance Stroll. Sebastian Vettel did not drive due to the Rona. Uh, And Nico Hulkenberg filling in got P17. He was very last in the race. If you're a Aston Martin fan, you're certainly looking pretty side-eyed at your team going, oh, wow, I, I was hoping for a step forward, and if anything, race one felt like a step backward for Aston Martin. Now, after one race, the strongest teams in the midfield are Haas, Alfa Romeo, I suppose Alfa Tauri as well. I mean, they even though Pierre Gasly had to retire um, and, and didn't finish, they were competitive, and Yuki Sonoda finished in eighth. And then Alpine, man, had two points finishes. Uh, Esteban Ocon got P7. Fernando Alonso, P9. I, I really, I'm excited to see how the year goes for Alpine. Uh, I did not expect them to start the year with much better pace than McLaren. That surprises me a lot. I'm happy to see that. Uh, I was hoping we would get some kind of rivalry this year between Alpine and Aston Martin. And right now it looks like Aston Martin is way behind Alpine. And I wanted Sebastian Vettel versus... Uh, Fernando Alonso, I, again, I'm I'm very worried we're not going to get that kind of rivalry this year because it looks like Alfa Romeo is so far behind, sorry, Aston Martin, excuse me, is so far behind Alpine. Um, and then, frankly, I got nothing to say about Williams. They're, they're still terrible. They still suck. Um, I, I mean, maybe they're not the worst team ever in Formula 1, at least the worst team this year in F1. It looks like maybe that could be Aston Martin after just one race, but... Um, I just have no interesting storylines with Williams. I'm like, eh, I, I just have a hard time caring. Uh, now, the next race coming is this Sunday, March 27th in Saudi Arabia. Then after that, April 10th, we will go to Australia. I cannot wait for that. And uh, look, Red Bull has to respond 
next Sunday after having an engine failure. They need to show that. I mean, they just can't fall even farther behind in the the championship. I know it's only one race, but you, if you don't finish again, I mean, look, I don't. I, I, we're only one race in. I don't want to overreact, but I really want to see Red Bull respond with a good finish. And for them to already not have any points to start the year is surprising and very disappointing. Um, it was a really fun battle, though, between Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc. I, I hope we can get a battle like that. I felt like Charles Leclerc was clearly a little bit faster, a better pace. But if we can get that kind of back and forth throughout the entire year, oh, man, that would be incredible and really, really fun. I will say it looked like everybody struggled a little bit on the new tires in F1. I mean, you saw a lot of drivers missing apexes of turns. And um, it, I don't know. We'll see how that plays out throughout the rest of the year. Now, the kind of the lingering questions for the next couple races are, can Ferrari continue to dominate? Are they really the best team in Formula 1? I think they are the team to beat right now, and will that continue through Saudi Arabia, through Australia? Can Haas stay strong? Um, I, I'm also really curious if McLaren can rebound. They were third in 2020, fourth in 2021. I would call McLaren the most disappointing team to start the year in Formula 1. They look like they are way behind a lot of other teams in the midfield and Uh, If there's like three tiers of F1 cars, if there's the big three, McLaren, Ferrari, Red Bull, then the midfield, I would actually put McLaren right now in the bottom tier of Formula One, which is very surprising to me. And uh, I I mean, they got really good drivers, Daniel Ricciardo, Lando Norris. They clearly uh, were competitive the last two years. And for them to take a big step backward would be a big shock and a big surprise. So um, I don't know, man. I don't have much else to add. I, I really am excited for the rest of the F1 season. It was a fun way to kick off the year. It was intriguing. It was surprising. And uh, man, I just had a really, really great time. So guys, that's all I have today. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I love you. I appreciate you. And uh, ba-dum-bum, bam, we are done.